Welcome to the Hope for ACD podcast, the podcast for adults with divorced parents and those who love them. We're glad you're here as we discuss how adults with divorced parents can take steps towards better relationships with God, themselves, their spouses, and others. Now here is your host, therapist and author, Kent Darcy. Hi, this is Kent Darcy. Thank you for joining us at Hope for ACD, Hope for Adult Children of Divorce or adult, adult children of divorce, if your parents waited until you were grown to divorce. I hope you're doing okay today. So glad you joined us. Uh, Unless you picked this podcast at random, I'm guessing this topic might hit close to home for you. When I'm sorry doesn't come. In the almost 20 years I've been working with and for adults with divorced parents, this issue tends to come up, the absence of the I'm sorry. When we feel someone wrongs us intentionally or unintentionally, but particularly intentionally, we want an apology. We may let the little things slide, but even there, we have to be careful. When I work with couples, those little things are often not little things, or the little things can build up over time and a growing layer of resentment or bitterness can build. But we want an apology. Apologies, even for the small things, are a welcome gift. I mean, how do you feel when a stranger bumps into you, gives you, a, you know, a kind of a stern look and moves on? How do you feel when a stranger bumps into you and quickly says, oh, so sorry, I wasn't paying attention? When that happens, we kind of erase the offense and we move on. In the first scenario, where they bump you and give you a look, isn't there that voice that kind of says, who do they think they are? I mean, get some manners. Most of us were taught at a young age, say you're sorry, even for little things. The problem is in the world of adults with divorced parents, there's a lot of big things that go unresolved. Offenses, hurts, losses. And we have to deal with those losses. And I I read in a Gary Chapman book, a book he wrote about anger, overcoming anger, actually. He told a client that was struggling with anger that he had to take a sheet of paper fold it in half to form a crease down the middle, and on the left side, write down a person that hurt you. And on the right half, write what that person did. Write down every episode you can remember, going back to childhood. Client comes back a couple weeks later with three pages on a legal pad, childhood, college, adulthood. What would you write down about your parental divorce experience? And we're not throwing stones or bashing parents, and Bible says we're to honor our father and mother, but If you had to go back to every offense that happened, what would you write? Would you write about maybe having to change schools, maybe not being able to play sports because you'd miss half the games due to the visitation schedule, maybe missing your parent because they had to work to keep a roof over your head and food on the table. Maybe you'd write about having to listen to your parent verbally attack the other parent or having to take care of your siblings. Maybe not being able to go to family reunions anymore because that whole side of the family is now off limits. Maybe you'd write about having to call your dad's girlfriend's mom, grandma, when you didn't want to. Or not having the available funds to do things you used to do. Maybe on the list would be them promising to come to a game or program or or just a visit and not showing up often. Having to be the parent to your parent because they're acting like a teenager maybe stressing you out at your own wedding, or maybe trying to make you choose who you'll tell first about the birth of your child. And I didn't even touch on the really big things, abuse, neglect, moving from place to place, not having a place. 
and we want someone to say, I'm sorry. Another scenario where we want to hear, I'm sorry, is when someone's planning to talk to their parent about some of the stuff they've been feeling. They've worked through some of the issues they've experienced or are experiencing, and they feel prepared or compelled to talk with one or both of the parents about you know, what they experienced. And that's a process in itself. Uh, we're not going to talk about that today, but and we'll kind of deal with this a little bit later. If you're, you're thinking about that, there's a process. You don't want to just jump into that because that can be really problematic. But when these situations come up, one of the questions I always ask is, what is your expectation? What do you expect from this conversation? And often I'll hear nothing. I just want them to know how I feel. And I will always challenge them because usually there's an expectation, a secret hope, a, a deep desire, a, a desperate need for them to hear the parents say something along the lines of, oh, I'm so sorry you were hurt by all this. And I had no idea our divorce had such a big impact on you. And, and I'm so sorry, preferably with tears. And this is a serious thing. I'm not making fun of this at all. The problem is I have to prepare them for the sorry that never comes. Sometimes you just get justification. Well, we were young. Well, whatever. Or worse, a denial or defensiveness. And if, if we aren't prepared for that, if we aren't prepared for, you know, thanks for sharing that. You want another cup of coffee? It can be devastating. And a lot of that is because in both scenarios, because I'm sorry, it, it's perceived as a validation or an acknowledgement of our experience or pain. And as human beings, we want that. And before we move toward what do you do when I'm sorry doesn't come, I want to take a look at what Dr. Gary Chapman found. And that is that there are multiple ways of saying I'm sorry. And this is important to know because maybe you're actually getting I'm sorry, but don't realize it. Dr. Chapman and Dr. Jennifer Thomas, both counselors, found that there were five major areas of apology. And these are not in any particular order that I'm aware of. The first one is expressing regret saying, I'm sorry. The second one is accepting responsibility, saying, I was wrong. The third one is making restitution, saying, how can I make it right? The fourth one is genuinely repenting. I'll try not to do that again is basically what we're saying. And the last one was requesting forgiveness, actually saying, will you please forgive me? Now, in the book, and the book is called When Sorry Isn't Enough, they write, Without a sincere apology, broken relationships stay broken. But he also writes, we believe that there are thousands of people who offer sincere apologies, but they are not understood to be sincere because they fail to speak the other person's primary apology language. Now, let's look at those again and see which one resonates with you. The first one is expressing regret, saying, I'm sorry. Are you the type that says, they defend, they justify, um, they explain. All I want for them is to say, I'm sorry. And they do everything but that. Is that you? I'm sorry may be your apology language. The second one was accepting responsibility, saying, I was wrong. Again, they defend, they justify, they explain. They'll even say, I'm sorry, but they'll never say what I did was wrong. Dragging me to the wedding of the person you had the affair with was wrong. Moving in another family was bad, but you making me feel like an outcast in my own home was wrong. Skip the I'm sorry's and say these words. I was wrong. Does that resonate with you? That might be your apology language. Maybe making it right is important to you. 
There's an interesting scripture in the Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verses 30 and 31 say, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet, if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. You pay it back. The Webster definition of restitution is an act of restoring or a condition of being restored, such as a restoration or something to its rightful owner. The second definition is more applicable to our conversation. The definition says restitution is a making good of or giving an equivalent for some injury. And this is where things get interesting because Chapman found that restitution relationally, you know, those moved by restitution may be looking for affirmation that they are genuinely loved. Basically, if you love me, how could you whatever? But now we get into another area where we're not going to get deep into, and that's the offender needs to show their love in the right way. Maybe you've heard about the five love languages, uh, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. Uh, I encourage you to read the five love languages by Chapman to get the details on that because I, I don't I'm not going to deal with that today. However, I will say it's a very good book and I use the principles in my counseling office often and we've taught it as well. But anyway, if you're in the how are they going to make it a good camp, make sure they aren't doing it now but in the wrong language. And I'm going to come back to that when we finish looking at the apology languages, because it's that's a crucial part of this discussion. But there's two more we want to get through. The fourth one is genuinely repenting. I'll try not to do that again. And this can get weird in the parental divorce arena. I mean, they have multiple marriages, continue to throw stones at each other, still break promises. If you get particularly frustrated by this, repentance... I'll try not to do it again, maybe your language. The last one is requesting forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? It was interesting to me that in Chapman's research, they found that 21% had this language. I, I don't know why I wouldn't have thought it would be that high, but a fifth of them were looking for this. The offender needs to ask for forgiveness or they aren't sorry. That's kind of where they're coming from. So we have expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuinely repenting and requesting forgiveness. Now, I found that some people are bilingual. <laughs> there might be two of them that are tied in importance. And that's why I would encourage you to read both of these books. Again, the, the apology book is When Sorry Isn't Enough. It's about the five apology languages and also five love languages. They're both by Gary Chapman. And I recommend these because our parents naturally act out of their language. We all do that. Whatever our language is, is how we, we act, how we behave. But in this case, this means they may be saying, I'm sorry, but not in your language. They're trying, diligently trying, but we're missing it. For example, the dad who is generous to your kids, like he was never generous to you, may be trying to say he's sorry to you and just doing it in a different language. And I'm emphasizing this I'm kind of parked here because sometimes our parents are saying, I'm sorry, just in their own way. And we need to see that. But as what we're all here to talk about, what do you do when they don't say, I'm sorry? They are in denial or they are defiant. Maybe they're incapable. There's a, a mental issue or a substance addiction issue. Maybe they are inaccessible. You don't know where they are or maybe they've died. There are some 
that say you forgive. There are some who say you can't forgive. They would say you don't hold it against them, that you release it to God and let him be the judge and you move on. But both agree that holding on to unforgiveness doesn't work. It's bad mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Some would even say physically. Here's an example of, of why forgiveness is important. Some of you older listeners may remember Timothy McVeigh. He set off a truck bomb by an Oklahoma City federal building that killed 168 people, including 19 children because there was a daycare in there. He was, beyond the shadow of a doubt, unrepentant. No guilt, no remorse. They found him, tried him, found him guilty, and they executed him. This was back in 1995. I think he was executed around 2001. But after he was executed, I remember reading an article where it was talking to some of the people, the family members that you know were behind that had lost people in the bombing, and they just said it wasn't enough. The judicial system worked. Justice had been served. He was dead. And it wasn't enough. They had to come to a place of forgiveness. And for us, some adults with divorced parents experience bad things, neglect, bad neglect, abuse, and worse. I've heard tales that would just make you weep. It's just very, very sad. But most of you listening experienced hassles, disappointments, offenses, losses, prejudice. You know, maybe you were not blood in the step family and you drifted into the Cinderella mode, kind of an outcast. And I'm not belittling any of that. The stuff hurts, sometimes still hurts. And there's not an I'm sorry in sight. So what do you do? Well, the first thing is we identify what the hurts are. And we do this with a Christ-following, Bible-believing counselor. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's what God's Word does. And we want a counselor or advisor who believes that the Bible is the guide rails of truth, the guide rails for behavior. You want somebody who not only believes that, but they also have the skills to understand some of the psychological dynamics in situations like this, because this can be a huge deal. The second thing we want to do is explore the option, the option of communication of those hurts to the parent. And again, I don't recommend this without solid biblical advice from someone who is aware of the situation and is skilled in this area. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The key phrase there is, if it is possible, some people are toxic. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know, I think the word is overused today. Everybody's toxic. Everybody's toxic. But there are some people who are. They're just not healthy to be around. We have to have strong emotional and relational boundaries for these people because they can cause mental harm. Others are just plain dangerous. It's not safe to be with them or the environment's not safe. So it's really important that we take all this into consideration when we consider actually communicating our hurts to them. The third thing we need to do is commit to representing Christ in the meeting. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
We want to avoid the flesh, anger, revenge, judgment, wrath. Instead, we want the spirit, love, joy, gentleness, kindness. And this, this can be complicated in situations like this, but it doesn't make it any less true or any less doable. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But this does not include putting ourselves in harm's way. That's why we need godly counsel. The fourth thing is to manage your expectations. Ideally, prayerfully, they'll be moved to repentance. They'll listen to you, understand, and, and they'll request forgiveness. They'll be really genuinely sorry. But if that doesn't happen, if we've done our proper preparation, we'll be okay with that. It stays in God's hands. The bottom line is if I'm sorry never comes and you feel unloved by the people who are supposed to love you, remember the one who always loves you. Remember what it says in Psalms 10, verse 14. The helpless commits himself to you, God. You are the helper of the fatherless or motherless. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I'll praise him. That's Exodus 15, 2. Psalm 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the strength of my salvation, and my stronghold. And don't ever forget this. Romans 8, 37 through 39. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God demonstrates this love, his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act to send Christ. He sent Christ so we could clean up our act. That is true love. That is love that never fails. And that is how we approach that situation when I'm sorry never comes. Now, if you have any thoughts or questions or stories about this, I'd love to hear it. You can reach me at questions at hopeforacd.com. That's questions at hope, the number four, ACD. Com. I also encourage you to share this with someone. You, you never know who may be struggling with this. Also, please subscribe, like, follow, heart, and all that type of stuff because it's important for people to know about us so they too can be helped in the struggles they may be having as an adult with divorced parents. But that's it for now. I want to thank you for being with us. I'm, I'm just really glad you joined us today, and I hope this helped. Until next time, let us heed the words of the Apostle Paul. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. This is Kent Darcy. Thanks for listening. I look forward to being with you again. This has been the Hope for ACD podcast, which is produced by Adult Children of Divorce Ministries. We'd love to hear from you. Please email any questions or comments to questions at hope4acd.com. That's questions at hope, the number four, acd.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, may God bless you with his peace and joy.